All right, all right. Hey, hey, what's up, guys? Uh, yeah, Randa, thanks for the sub. Uh, I'm gonna mute the sub stuff though because it's gonna. Uh, otherwise, it's gonna be weird on the podcast and shit like this, and it's gonna distract me, right? <laughs> but let me introduce Jintan. I think most people. I'd be surprised if someone's here who doesn't know Jintan, but. There might be someone listening in who doesn't know, right? There's a couple achievements already. So XCSM is one thing. I mean, how many terms? Three? I served for three years, yeah. Yeah. Three terms CSM, which is an achievement in itself already, but then also AT commentator, correct? Yeah, three times. Also three times. Yeah. I uh, was the military director of Providence for about two and a half years. That too, yeah. I think that's what we the the group most people probably connect you with. Um, you also X in it, not for too long, right? You tried it out, didn't quite work out. We can talk about that later, but uh, you know, it was. I think it was just not the play style you were looking for at the time. But you can explain, I guess. Um, and now, um, you're mostly running uh, NPSI fleets with Spectre fleets. And uh, while while you're doing your stuff on YouTube, right? Like that's mostly Eve politics updates, but more on a, I mean, yeah, politics updates. It pretty much nails it, I guess. Um, yeah, what I what I try and do is I try and just keep people updated with what's going on in the game in a relatively timely fashion. I'll cover patches. I'll cover the politics. I'll cover individual big fights like Nine Tac Four back in the day. Uh, just try and keep people who aren't actively playing in the game in touch with what's going on and providing something digestible for people who need it. And you know what? I think sometimes even people involved in this, the thing you cover might just get some uh, intel or info out of the whole thing, especially nine members. I mean, I I know for sure like some conflicts we might have third partied in or whatever we don't have too much interest in. So I'm not fully up to date, but then you update it and you know, I can oh, I can tell like, oh, that's what's actually happening, right? <laughs> even though I have been in the fight, I don't even know what exactly was happening. So yeah, pe- and then- people seem to be pe- people are generally pretty open with it after the fight's gone down. So you can get some of those really cool, like intricate details, and I I love being able to bring those to the forefront. They're like human mistakes or little human moments that end up turning into gigantic tactical things that turn a fight. Uh, you know what that has always that was always one thing that surprised me a little bit is that people are so open right for example talking in stations they don't have really problems getting all the fcs on there like pretty much everyone they want to talk to would get on and everyone who you want to talk to they would talk to you right like in general people are pretty open actually so yeah well, I mean, us FCs tend to be a bit of an egotistical sort, so I think part of that's just us all wanting our time in the limelight. <laughs> that that is true. I'm not going to deny I've got an ego too, but uh, um, I hope it usually isn't, um, you know, isn't getting in the way sometimes, you know. For some people it is probably, but, uh, you know, what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, I've recently moved over to flying mostly with Spectre Fleet and just enjoying some NPSI stuff. And that's just because I, and that's not because I've uh, stopped enjoying the large alliances. I just haven't been a part of one for, for a good while. I've been been in Brave Newbies and doing some roaming there, but 
I just can't stop FCing. Like FCing is, I swear to God, it's like the most addictive part of EVE Online gameplay, and it has ruined every other MMO that I've ever tried to play, because nothing compares to FCing. There is no other gameplay like it in any other video game. Like the only thing that could maybe come close to it is to me sometimes is games like RimWorld. If you could have like a RimWorld that's held up to a hundred people, you know, you're managing so many individuals and every little thing that you do matters to an insane degree. It it, it and all, it's almost like playing a playing an RTS, but all of the units argue with you. Like I <laughs> it's 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 unreal like i can't stop doing it even when i'm like oh i've i don't really have a reason to fc i don't have any objectives to defend i'm not being paid to do this anymore every week i'm like i still want to go and like run some feroxes into headliner and die to him <laughs> yep and um, the thing about fcing it also ruins not also uh, not only ruins like other mmos it also ruins being in someone else's fleet, I feel like, like I struggle a lot when I when I'm joining someone. Like yesterday, like last night, actually, I joined someone else's fleet, and then I joined like other roles. For example, last night, I like to do the logi thing. Then you know, just to you know get a feel for the logi part, because I usually don't get that chance. But like I struggle to even stay engaged. You know what I mean? I mean, it was also late, but at the same time. It is super hard if you're used to like, I mean, you probably have seen this the same way. You have like one main and at least one alt going on, right? Like a scout or something, right? That's like what everyone does basically. That's so a, actually, being... I actually don't do that in my NPSI fleets. I'll be honest with you. I've actually just tried to make it as casual as possible. And uh, more than that, I, what I've tried to do is I've tried to put those roles like scouting or um, even anchoring give those to people in the fleet and like try and help them learn a bit because i think that's something that people don't do enough with npsi fleets is try and train the people around you and, and make them better so that's something that i've been trying to focus on a bit in my npsi stuff and it's been very fun people have been really receptive to it and we've had some uh, great victories with people who've just learned through a very very low barrier of entry fcing place to fc yeah i mean it's not only it's not only good for them, I guess. It's also good in general if you train some people up that can do anchoring and all that stuff. Anchoring, target calling. It's all things you really like in the end of at the end of the day, you really don't need to do that much as an FC. You, you need to have the you know the grand picture, so to say. Like you have to have the strategy in mind or the tactic. Um so it also helps get your fleet better, right? Because like if you do all of these things uh, alone, you can't be a hundred percent. It's impossible, right? So some really good FCs that that are good at this multitasking stuff, they might reach the ninety percent, but you'll never have a hundred, right? So uh, yeah, it's basic. Yeah, it's basically the like I do think that's actually an important point to make that you don't need to uh, you don't need to anchor or even target call to FC. You could very easily, I'm sure you've actually done it multiple times where you've FC'd a fleet where you have done none of the anchoring, none of the target calling, but all you've done is positioned your fleet, you've gotten to the right point in the engagement, you've laid out the game plan, you've communicated between all of the parts of your fleet properly, and from there everything's just been able to play out. 
and I, I yeah. think a lot of a lot of um, people don't see FCing that way. They see it as this very monolithic. There's one guy who's in charge. He does everything. He is the the savior and the the bringer of victory. But there's a there's a whole big network that goes into that, and um, people don't give it enough recognition or even understand that it exists as something that you can interface with and learn from more to the point because i always get these messages from people who are like how do i learn how to fc you know how do i how do i get started with fcing and i've always directed people to like hey ask one of your fcs like hey can i be a target caller or can i back up anchor or can i scout all those yeah. kind of things will help get you into the position to eventually be an, a trusted fc I mean, you've been there. You've been in in it during Rage, right? So I actually got you involved early, which most people don't know. Like you just joined maybe a month before or so. So I thought, okay, yeah. he's a, he's an experienced FC. Might just get him on board, and um, you know. And I was, I was in charge during the one time they got a fleet actually into the hole as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you there you go. There. Spy confirmed, right? <laughs> but. Yeah, you saw it right there too. Like I was even I wasn't even actively anchoring the fleet on the keepster because like I would get headshot anyway, right? So there was always someone taking over right away. So I was just basically I was just there to get headshot, which kinda sucks, yeah. you know. But like, um, you were managing the communication though. You didn't even need to be on grid at a certain point. You were asking things like, Hey, how many executors do we have left? All that kind of thing that's really important when you're in the moment, but you're not gonna be thinking about it as a line member. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think people like those FCs that then take those little tasks, they have like a way better chance of actually also reaching for more than, you know, they get a little bit hungry then. For example, Piercy was one of the FCs we had in Rage who was doing uh, my backup anchoring. He now, he actually at the moment is deployed, but he's coming back actually this weekend, I believe. So um, happy to see him around again. Um, but yeah, you could tell he was reaching for more than right. He got hungry. I felt like that was like it was a, a cool thing to see. Uh, and then we we promoted him, and I even gave him a little bit of a uh, like a tiny speech at the end and stuff. It was get kind of fun. But yeah, yeah, it is lovely to see people like eventually realize the fact that they can be self actualized in Eve Online. Like that's that's another one of the greatest things about FCing is. You get to go out and decide, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. And you can absolutely yep. just make massive things happen by shooting a couple of Astra houses. It's pretty rad. That's yeah, the and, state of the game is right now. And that's one of the questions I I like have like always lined up for people that come on here. Is like, why do you start FCing? I feel like for most people, it's always the answer is always necessity. But it's not the, that's not the full truth. If you think think about it, right? What you just said, it's always the little bit of like, I, I want to do this, but I don't have an FC for it. So I kind of have to do this myself, you know? So that's always a little bit of a part of it. So, uh, you know, and sometimes I feel like, I, I wonder sometimes how many FCs had an idea, they go out and do it, they fail the first time and then they give up. There must have been a lot of them. Right? Oh, there was there's so many. I tried for a while to like breed more FCs during my time in Providence. Like I actually set up a program and tried to track people through it. And I I, I gave up after like three months because holy shit, it was fucking brutal. Like you had a 50% initial wipe rate. Like if someone went out and ran a fleet, 
there was just like a 50% chance they would never run a fleet again. People would be like, cool, I've done it now. Never have to do it again. I can say I'm an <laughs> FC. I can say I have FC'd full stop. And that, that was about as much dedication as they had to it. And, you know, you watch how many people will keep going after their first whelp, even if it's all covered by SRP. You know, there there is pretty natural to feel like kind of guilty that you lost that much ISK in your first fight or whatever. You feel kind of responsible for that. And it, it takes it takes a certain kind of person to battle through that and go and run a second time and a third time and hundreds and hundreds of times probably now that I've run fleets here in 2020. Yeah. I mean, yeah. shit, I've been FC, I've been FCing for nearly 10 years now. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know how long I've been FCing. Maybe six, maybe six. Yeah, but uh, I remember the first like big fleets with like a lot of prep. Dude, you get nervous at the beginning, right? You get nervous. It's not a good feeling, right? It's like, oh shit, if I fail and stuff like this. And then if you fail, that's obviously that's not gonna help you to go out the next time because it was already like already felt shit before anything happened, right? So you don't want to feel like nervous or anything. But, um, you know, I think what, what helps a lot is like if you keep going, like it's impossible to not succeed at some point. You know what I mean? That's like even if you're the dumbest guy ever, like if you take out the right doctrine, you know, I mean, some people fail right there. They take out the wrong stuff. But um, if you take out like a Hecate fleet, like you can fly around with 10 Hecates you will, you will find that one perfect target and everyone's going to have a blast. And then, you know, you can build on that. And as soon as you have that trust of people, you don't feel that, that nervous anymore. Like, you, you don't have to worry about anything then, right? Honestly, like these days, thanks to um, filaments and stuff, I think the barrier of entry is, is even lower. Like you can just zip over to that Calavella Expanse or whatever and deal with Pord's home defense fleet with like 20 dudes and caracals and you'll have a good time. Like, you will die. Yep. You will 100% die. But you'll kill a lot of stuff before you do. And that's great. I like that. I like that it is a bit more simple. And that's why I moved to NPSI as well, because it is just, hey, I'm running a fleet here. People get their ships there. We go out. No one expects to like have some glorious victory. People just want the raw content and that's just a great environment to be learning uh and that's especially good for me because i spent like a year's i've i've probably spent six months to a year out of fc um from the time i finished the csm uh and the time i kind of dropped out of um when what i dropped into like tribute and i was going to do some stuff there but eventually i just I, I just couldn't get into it for some reason uh, and because of that, my skills are now incredibly rusty and I've had to sit there and just relearn all of the basics. And it's surprising how much simple stuff you forget. Like, oh my God, engaging is literally 80% of how you win fights. And, you know, fleet compositions are super important and being able to understand what all parts of your fleet are doing at any point is crucial. That Those kind of things. You know, and that's that's why I've started making this FCing videos again because I I thought that some of relearning some of those basic uh, lessons might be useful for people to sit down and watch and kind of absorb from the perspective of someone who is literally making those mistakes for you, so you can see what to not do. Yeah, you just have the advantage. You already know. You, you already know. Like you'll get there. You know what I mean? You already yeah, know. Yeah, I just like, feel it's like a process an idiot. And you'll get there. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I've I've got a little bit of a series going on too because 
um, for the longest time now, like I would say the last half year or so, I focused almost entirely on like the hunting stuff, right? Be with Stukas and then with Kikis, like just hunting big stuff and having like 200 people in feed and all that stuff. And then now that there's less uh, people to hunt for us, I kind of went back to what we used to do all the time is just with corp 10 maybe 15 now like 25 men because of filaments but smaller fleets just focused on like getting every fight we can find and then potentially trading well or even winning the fight and uh, the first couple of fleets or like there were a few in those like i think i'm at like episode number 10 or so with the specific config there was a couple in, the, in those where i thought like oh shit like lessons that i should have learned years ago you know that i had to relearn like when to simply say okay we have to warp out and not take this fight or um simply move the fight a couple gates you know just a few gates and then you might just have a better situation for yourself and uh, give a little bit more urgency to hostiles because oh no they're about to leave we have to catch them right and then they make mistakes instead of just sitting there waiting for them to come and fucking blob you you know and uh, that's like all these little things um you know or like lazy scouting it doesn't really work in smaller fleets you know you can't you can't be lazy with the scouting you're not invincible you know what i mean you have to know uh you know what's going on exactly and stuff you have to be a bit more careful it's like all it's a very very different to... kind of intel landscape to what you're doing with when you're hunting because when you're hunting you've got to manage like everything eight, is a target here, yeah. here are eight different routes that we have to take let's make sure that those are clear when we eventually find a target whereas you're the target when you're running a 20-man fleet exactly. you've got to make sure exactly. that those eight people don't fucking find you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it's exactly what it is i think right it's the, the the mindset of hunting and like suddenly it's turned around like we're kind of hunting though right you filament out which is great like the filaments i can't praise them enough right i think they they nailed it with them they really did and uh, so you filament out and then uh you're kind of hunting for a while but there's a clock ticking right like after 10 minutes you are the you're the prey you're getting hunted right like after 10 minutes kind of you're in intel someone's forming so you have to switch that mindset and i wasn't always successful with that but like i'm I getting always, there I, too I, i'm the worst though because i will always play with the, like the response fleet i i can't not do it like i want to i, I, I want to yeah. sit at 100 kilometers and watch their tackle stream into me and try and kill two of them it doesn't matter that i'm risking the entire fleet i'm still gonna do it every time <laughs> yeah i mean the config we're flying we call it uh last large ancillary mode shield boosters right so oh dude those are sick though you i think you have been on one of those before i i haven't but i i like i'm oh. totally with the answer remote shield boosters because people don't realize that they don't use any cap like uh, exactly. i was using them for a while on uh a bunch of fittings i think i used like a medium ancil on one of our scythe fittings so that we could get like more tank out of it stuff like yeah, that so we like i thought maybe you would have been on one of the like we've done it like years ago on a bigger scale well not years but maybe a year like one and a half or so ago and that could have been when you weren't in it we used them on like vexors on a bigger scale um and i definitely was really in a vexor well. fleet. yeah 
Yeah, that might have been yeah, the one. Maybe, maybe it was that one. Yeah, and then CO2 that. actually engaged us with like, I think we had 70 and they had like 120 ruptures, which is alpha damage. It's not usually, but we killed them all. And it was just like glorious. But we fly, flying them in smaller scale now because of the filaments, 25, right? And uh, they work really well, but um, we upgraded to Gila's now. They, they're just way stronger, right? And um, yeah. They, you know, they perform really well. So I might. I'm playing around with another step actually. So the the series actually that was uh, I was talking about was first Vexus, then Vexor Navy issues, then Gilas. Then I wanted to maybe I was thinking about Ishtas, but I think they're not as strong in that comp. Not using a Guardian Vexor, you coward. <laughs> well hey if you want to borrow me yours like i, I take yours then uh, i'm nowhere near rich enough to have a guardian vex <laughs> i actually know someone who has one did you but... did you see the uh kill mail like a it was like a couple of years ago but someone actually lost a guardian vexa in a fucking iteron five. Oh my Jitter. god hey as long as they don't f- lose them in fucking high sick in some citadel right now right uh yeah, I was. We can talk I, about that one, huh? Hey, yeah, I'm. I I've made my thoughts about it pretty clear. Like, I'm very happy with the actual change. Like, the actual mechanics that have been introduced are the way Citadel should have been introduced to the fucking game. Yeah, I I I'm on record as saying that. I've said that to CCP originally. I basically called for something like this when I was on the CSM, but the execution of this is fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what? It's. It's just so recklessly, like, uh, so recklessly implemented for those players who aren't active in the game right now. That's just all it comes down to. And I don't get this. I don't get this like weird backlash that's been going on on Twitter from people like Manic and Ashtarothy who are like, "Oh, you know, it's fine. Just play the game, lol." <laughs> you know, not yeah. realizing that no, that's that's that comes from an incredibly privileged position. I have to say, though, my first reaction was like, eh, what's the what's the actual damage right now, right? Like, a few people will lose a shit ton of stuff. Like, and I still think the damage is, it's not the end of the world, you know? But for those few people, like, did we really need that? Did we, did we need to have that shit drop and then drop it into the hands of someone else? Like... Also, the fact that people were scouting all that shit on Sissy beforehand. Like, the fact oh, that people yes. knew what was good, knew what to hit, and that there was no warning to the people of that. And, it, hey. like, that just that just really strikes me as exploity. And I genuinely think that the people who te- who actually went and hunted for that stuff on the on Sissy should be banned. I, I, I just think they should be banned. Oh, I think you're going too far there. I, I think it's not their fault. Not permanently, I, obviously, but no, no, that is good. That goes straight. I'm not a fan of banning anyway. <laughs> I know you aren't, but I'm going to go there. I think you know it's it was against the sissy rules. If at it's the very least, month. they should yeah. At the very least, they should have their sissy access permanently revoked. Something like that is is minimum a uh, minimum. But CCP is never going to go through the effort of actually you know, tracking all that down in the database. So. I like the I like the sissy access approach. Like if if someone does that, boom, they lose sissy access. Yeah, I I I get behind that, but in general, I think that's the that's the the thing with citadels in general. Whatever they do, they always like started a little bit wacky, you know. Citadels when they got introduced in the first place, holy shit, was that? Was oh, that you a, remember you remember you know? vulnerability windows? Weren't those fun? 
I remember the day they came out and I was like, this can't be true, right? Like the tether range is massive. The you can anchor them and have bubbles right on them. So people get oh, dragged remember, from uh, Remember from when the there gates. wasn't an initial anchoring time and there was literally no way to stop someone from just anchoring a structure in front of you? Hey. <laughs> remember how fun and interactive that was as a game mechanic? In general, <laughs> in general, like, and then asset safety on top of that, you know? And Good Lord. like this whole combination of, of citadels, it was just, it came across like super rushed. And I have to wonder, I don't want to call any anyone from CCP out or anything, but I have to wonder if that's the same team doing those changes right now. Because I, I, think I believe, yeah, I believe they need help. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't mean it to come across like this, but you know what I mean. They need some, they need some real player advice and they should con consider talking more to the CSM. And I believe yeah. if they would have consulted the CSM properly, they would have gotten the right answers. Give them more time to think about stuff. Citadels are complex. You can't just clap your hands and they're going to be fine, right? Oh, God. It's so. so, like, we get so much blame on the CSM for a lot of the early structure stuff. I don't think people realize that you get told those mechanics in about 30 in about a 30 minute presentation where you don't have like printouts of everything in front of you so you've just got to remember everything that this person is downloading to you after three days of doing this to other projects and then you have yeah. to in that other 30 minutes that you have left you have to then explain everything that you possibly can that's fucked up about that design and <laughs> that is the only time you get and it's I think absolutely awful it's like a continuous 32 hour job interview like that's the only thing i can like uh, kind of contem co compare the stress to it's it's great and like the catharsis after it's all done and you go drinking is wonderful and i'm happy i spent the time in it but holy shit it is not easy yeah and people ask me like panel why aren't you running for csm like dude you have no I, idea I, I would not recommend that anyone run for the csm no. i've actually been i've there is a half-written script that I've been kicking around for like about a year and a half called Why You Shouldn't Run for the CSM. And it's just like... <laughs> right, now is the perfect time, like, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> right after, think. you're like, too late, dudes. <laughs> uh. is, there, is there like one CSM guy you have like great hopes in that like who's doing like good there? Who was your number one? My number one whilst I was on there? um that changed pretty pretty rapidly depending on the summits but i think suetonia so it would be between oh, suetonia and Arith over the course of my three years probably had the most impact most positive impact oh Arith, that's a surprise yeah. i yeah. know people i know Arith is going to be a surprise for a lot of people but Arith was uh someone who could see a lot of economic problems before they happened that I don't think he even got enough credit for within the CSM during his time there. Like he was the kind of person who would just point out, oh, well, I can trade this to this and use this obscure mechanic. And now I have infinite isk. You should probably fix that. You know, he was the guy bringing all the broken stuff that the, the uh, goon cabal, economic cabal or whatever they call it these days um, came up with and feeding that to CCP that he pointed out all of the insurance uh, fraud, for example, that they were doing, you know, he, for, for, everything that he gets about being quite possibly the most egotistical human being that i've ever had the <laughs> the time to spend present uh, that i've ever spent time in the presence of 
he did care about the game and he did try and do good by it and he did very good by it oh, that's glad to, i never talked to the guy but yeah that's the impression i had oh it's like oof that dude has an ego holy shit but yeah he didn't make it a secret either so you can't be mad for people picking it up like that um no no but um, then also like who do you think or actually what i wanted to say is i think now that Aerith isn't here, Kenneth Felt is maybe or hopefully filling that gap. And as far as I could tell, he seems to be in uh, like a level-headed and stuff. So I hope he's gonna fill that gap. Yeah. And uh, so they still have someone with like industry um, experience, like solid industry experience and stuff. Because like if I was on the CSM and they would ask me like I have no, I have no idea, you know. Losing Steve's another another big thing there. Like that that does suck. Like Steve was such a source of institutional knowledge for the CSM, just because he'd been there for six years. He knew who was in charge of a lot of things, and you could go to him. And mm-hmm. you know, even if he wasn't super active, he well, he actually was really active in um, stuff like dealing with the tech co, which is like the API side of things. And um, he was always kind of this advocate for high sec and also the casual player. So I hope that we have. I hope that we can eventually get someone like that back on the CSM. Someone who's there to be an ad- advocate for the more casual players. Tulvold seems like he's aiming to fill that gap, but I, I don't know how successful it would be. And he's also advocating for a lot of other things. So I think it's unfair to put that on his back entirely. Yeah. So for like, I think for high sec stuff, we've got Mike Azaria, right? Who's doing yeah. like noob newbie stuff but he has a lot of experience with like all all kinds of stuff so that's true i think in general that's what i said when i did the the post election kind of thing i think in general the csm we got is fairly diverse even if it doesn't look like it necessarily right because like kenneth felt for example he looks like a null block candidate but like if you if you look at it you have to put him in a in the industry category right then you have like, for example, um, um, what's his name, Torvald? He's doing the uh, the abyssals and stuff like abyssal that. Abyssal casual stuff. You have one Chinese um, candidate, which I don't know if that's going to be useful or not, but it for sure could be use useful to find out. You know what I mean? So um, you know, I imagine he will. I imagine they will uh, probably be presenting many of the same concerns that Sort Dragon presented to the CSM uh, during CSM thirteen. Which was kind of uh, just basically like, "Hey, can you let us use the? Uh, can you just like d- disable the stuff that you have that means that we can't use the hacked Chinese version of the TQ client, please?" And then CCP will say, "No, <laughs> fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be the end of the conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate, but like you know, they have to unfortunately abide by the rules that are set by communist China, who are not known for being the most permissive bunch. It turns out. Yeah, I wonder if that's ever going to change. Probably not in our lifetimes. That is far beyond the reach of an FCing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Although dive I into suppose, this. I guess I do. I guess I do. You know, have some experience in politics, but not that kind of politics. You know. <laughs> I mean, Helmer always likes to say, you know, it's like a like real life experience. So why not, right? Maybe, Fair maybe, enough. maybe EFC should rule the world. Who knows? I mean, what what would we get? I don't know. 
who knows maybe even lines secretly the uh training like center for the, the next the next generation of battle fleet commanders or something like that like the uh the the movie the last starfighter i don't know if you've ever watched that no i didn't it's a, it's a uh it's a it's like an old 70s 80s sci-fi movie where the uh the main character is really good at an arcade and it turns out the arcade is actually just a simulator to find the best star fighter in the world uh, he goes off right. and fights aliens i'm a nerd okay <laughs> um you know what like another thing i was talking about actually miranda lorian who is um in twitch chat she is um involved with the u.s army esports team and stuff and what i always think is like leadership like eve teaches you leadership fa fairly well right and I think teaches you resilience, re teaches you a lot of things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. But for like military, like that might be the reason why we see so many people from the military in the game is because that, you know, the organizations are kind of built like military organizations, but then also the leadership aspect, right? So you can work yourself up the rank now. The rank is maybe a little bit more imaginary, right? It's not as official, you know, step by step by step. Maybe in some groups it is, I don't know. But there certainly is this aspect, right? That, you know, some real leadership skills you have to develop. And then the more trust you gain, the more numbers you get in fleet, the more you can do, right? And uh, It's I a think, very organic process, yeah. Yeah. And I think probably... Um, if you were like a, an officer in the U.S. Army or whatever, uh, you probably would profit from an experience like this, like just experience-wise, because they don't get to lead on like a significant level all day, every day. You know what? You know what I, I know mean? Some, like, some, they're some not going to make officers have actually used like uh, opsec in Eve Online to train people in like what opsec means. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know stuff that. Like that. But like what I'm what I mean is like before any before Miranda jumps in here and you know. <laughs> fucking corrects me what i'm trying to say is like the significant decisions it's not daily business in uh in any like hopefully uh in most uh scenarios because if you have to you know decide about life and death all day that's uh you know that's not a good thing but in most uh in most situations in most roles and leadership it's not you know you don't get as much real training and uh, no well there, there isn't a way to train leadership yeah. you have to you have to just you have to learn it like you have to you have to just employ your leadership skills until you gain leadership skills there is no magic switch there is no magic course that's going to suddenly turn you into some sort of alpha leader personality you've got to gain that confidence yeah. you know i've been playing this game since i was 12 years old and it's fucking shaped me as a human being you know, I started FCing when I was age fourteen. I've I have FC'd. That's probably like my, my the longest hobby I've ever had in my life. Is yeah. the art of talking to a bunch of nerds in an internet video game and uh, directing them to victory and or failure, depending on how how that day it feels like going. And it's an experience I'm very happy for. I will say, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's some moments, right, where you just like go, um, you know like those fuck yeah moments you know i'm sure you had a few of those right they pay back all that struggle like if you struggle for a while and you get there and then finally you get something done 
For example, you take a doctrine and you prove it works, right? And you get that epic fight and you win. Like, yeah. Like, what was like? Do you, do you have any of those? Like, in, yeah, a good definitely. story. I think pretty much everyone who's um, heard me talk on podcasts before probably knows about it, but it's the uh, the DTAC G fight uh, against Pandemic Legion during the anime war. Uh, so if you don't know, DTAC-G is kind of the historical homeland of CVA. It, it's basically like the old staging system. We don't stage in there now because there's no point to. But back in the day when our biggest threat was AAA and catch, you know, back in 2013, 2014, when I grew up as a fucking kid, that was where everyone staged. That was where everything came out of. So the Fortazar the Mayor meant quite a lot to all of us. It's a very symbolic thing. It was in its final timer. and We had about a week to prepare. And uh, Pandemic Legion had been successfully using the Boosh Ravens and the Boosh Rokes that you uh, helped to design. But wait, so aren't they them. invincible? Why even try? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, uh, the solution that I ended up coming up with was to seed little groups of Dreadnoughts all around the Fortazar so that no matter where they Boosh to, they would still be in range of uh, some number of long-range Dreadnoughts. And we managed to uh, round up in our corp 22 dread pilots, which is enough to volley a raven in one shot to create two of these groups. And we did it in secret in a week. And we positioned it so that we could lo all log on just as the timer went off. So they would have no time to prep for what we were doing at all. And we would be able to just start knocking ravens out the sky. And it worked. We, we actually won a fight against PL. We saved the uh, Fortazar and... That was actually the turning, well, would have been the turning point in the anime war had we actually uh, won it, had uh, certain things not happened. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, they were, they were, they were very, very, it was a very, very fun moment. It was also something where it was almost entirely within my own corporation. And that's, that's a really unique feeling as well. When it is people who you've talked to every day for a couple of years, you know, and you're all getting together to do one big thing and it works out, it's just unbelievable. You know, I was mad at you for that Raven article. You remember that one? You yeah. made an article explaining the config, and I felt like, yep, yeah, he's like he's right in how how they are used and why they're strong and why they're hard to counter. Even though I would always argue they're not that hard to counter. You can always, if you have your stuff prepped. For example, let me let me just say, four disasters are actually harder to keep bushing than. Keepstars, right? Because yeah, and I actually so explained that in the article because it's all about the volume and it's, exactly. it's not a linear equation. Yeah, yeah. So in general, you would always have to make them bush as fast as you can. So if you prep bookmarks uh, around just like the ravens would do, right, and you have a doctrine that hits fairly far, you can just you know warp always in front of them, so they have to bush not once. Then they're in range, then another time, then they're still in range, and then they have to push three times. They're always gonna end up out of range and stuff, right? So I was always I was always arguing as long as you have a hundred km range and you're in a fairly mobile doctrine, just whoop in front of them and then have them bush and then whoop in front of them again and stuff like that. So even with like a standard doctrine like Munins, you could counter them. But I mean, it takes prep and it takes knowledge. So that knowledge wasn't like present in every group. So um, I can totally see people complaining, and uh, I, I I see why people have the feeling they're oppressive. But the thing that made me mad about your article was actually that you said like 
there was a wave of wormhole evictions with bush ravens and it was just one eviction total right just one <laughs> successful I, didn't actually, eviction. I, I was under the impression that there were many more because no. people in ccp were telling me that there was a wave of them mm. at the time like the, do you want to know the re the real unironic reason that that article was originally written because it wasn't for the general audience it was for ccp yeah was it yeah do you want to know why it was written because someone in CCP told me that, that it wasn't possible to boosh a hick with a bubble up. Oh, no. They just, they just told me that, that, that this doctrine didn't work. That a fundamental <laughs> conceit of a doctrine that hundreds of people are using every day didn't exist. And I had I mean, to be like, excuse me, what? But at the <laughs> same time, so we, we always use the uh, hick uh for like that extra layer of protection right because yeah because it, it's what makes it really really uh it what's it's what gives you the defensive flexibility so that even if you do mess up a tiny bit you don't immediately get caught that that was kind of the problem with it Only that's why i was like stuff. hey let's remove hicks from the book jump equation and then hey maybe there's a chance someone can get interceptors or assault frigates or something on top of the ravens that gives you a bit more risk but it doesn't completely destroy the doctrine because i liked what it did I really do like the high skill cap, and I think that CCP made the wrong change by turning it to a twenty-five uh, cap. I do, I do believe that. Yeah. Well, I don't want to complain about the change anymore. I mean, I did it a, a few times. Like, I'm just gonna come across like a whiny bitch. <laughs> it's like I don't want to dive into it. But you know what? What would have been one counter too? That would have been so hard to deal with in a Bush Raven fleet. It's just a, a cloaky bomber with a scram in front of the fleet. And then you just time it. You warp a hostile fleet just in that general direction. They will con uh, start the Bush and you just scram that anchor quickly. And then what? You know what happens then? All the Ravens Bush in front and then they all turn around because that anchor is behind them. And then you warp on top of them. And then what are you going to do? If you boosh, you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know if you're going to boosh everyone. You don't know anything, really. It's complete chaos. And if if a boosh raven fleet has chaos, that's it. End oh, of yeah. The, it, it's, end like, of the show. it's like the equivalent of a Greek phalanx. Like It relies entirely on its formation. And if the formation ever falls, yeah. the whole thing disintegrates immediately. But yeah, that was that was definitely one of my one of my favorite fights. We then had a much bigger one later on in BTECW, but uh, PL didn't engage because we had like 50 dreads or something on grid and Legacy was there with supers ready to come in. And that was actually the point at which I thought we'd won that war. That, that was the point at which I was like, oh, shit, we actually might win this thing. And then, uh, but then and unfortunately, then uh, and then half the alliances of Proverblock uh, left to join Legacy and... Um, uh, our relationship with Legacy soured somewhat due to political actions from senior members in Provi Block leadership. And as such, we were no longer able to acquire super capital cover. So we were basically dead in the water versus Panfa, because obviously we didn't have supers of our own. So they could yeah. just escalate. Well, they could just, not that they were going to drop supers on us, not that PL would do that, because they didn't have them deployed down there. But their capital forces were just exponentially bigger than ours. You know, we were going to form 50 to 60 dreads max. They could drop 120 on us, and there was no way you could compete with that. Yep. At the end of the day, we were a weaker force. There's, you know, you've got, to, you've got to have something there to tip it back in your favor. And the threat of Legacy dropping the Super Capital Hammer was what we had uh, after we kind of acquired that in 3D tack. And, uh, and after that went away and we lost like half of our forces, that was pretty much game over. 
Uh, and that's that's why I actually left probably at that point, because I was like, hey, we need to retreat to low sec. We can't handle this anymore. Uh, that was not going to be that was not the uh, decision that Leisha wanted to make. So I decided, OK, well, I'll just resign because I don't want to fight a war that has been lost due to circumstances outside my control, basically. Yeah, and I get that, you know, if you're like if you're forced into a war, um, you know, into pointless, like if someone is almost demanding you to burn yourself out for nothing, right? That's like, that, that's just pointless. And that's what, that's what a war in the end really is, right? If you have like two fairly equal numbers, um, then it's all about who burns out first. Who can then, keep it? I think yeah. I, I prefer to see it in a different light because I think that paints even a very negative Mm. kind of uh framing like a lot of people have always said oh he was he was about who could stop your enemy from logging in you know that's how you win wars you stop your enemy from logging in no i like to see it from the other way you win a war by keeping your players logging in you win a war by making your players not burn out by keeping yeah. things fun for them it still, know, has a little bit of a, it still has a little bit of a negative undertone though right I, like I you think win he was, by keeping he, he, your guys logged in he was a fucking bastard game. Like, let's let's not beat around the bush. All of us. But it is true. <laughs> but it is true. It's never like it's never the isk or any. Like, I don't remember any war that was just won by isk. The isk war hits the morale to a degree, right? Because yeah. Lyman, they will always look at that like, oh, we traded like fifty bill to twenty bill. Um, that's great. Or the other way around, that's not so great. So it's gonna hit the morale. It's all about the morale in the long run, right? So it's, um, it can buy yeah. you a lot of morale, though, as someone in chat is saying with World War B. Like, it's, it's can substitute for morale for a certain degree. But yeah, even if you give out free ships, if you're just losing constantly, no one's going to join. But at the same time, though, they, I mean, that's totally true. World War B was won by ISK. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, like, maybe to a degree, right? But not a hundred percent. It wasn't. It wasn't like all about the isk. I wonder what would have happened without the isk. Like if he would just like if it was just said like okay we're making this like big thing and uh, you can be part of this. Like if you sell it correctly, it still would happen and it could still snowball and then you know develop into what it was. Um, but there was a couple in ingredients that had to be right for that to happen, right? Like people had Absolutely. to be fed up with the situation and. There needed needed to be a, a lot of people at the right you know in the right mindset at the time. I mean, I don't think it off. would have happened at all without the Lysek Voltron. That's something I touched on my latest video actually. Like yeah. the fact that the Imperium was shown to be able to bleed was very important because people don't remember quite how invulnerable. I actually don't like calling that version of the Imperium the Imperium. By the way, I prefer to call that version of the Imperium the CFC. I, I prefer to kind of make the distinction of 2016 being the transition from the CFC to the Imperium, because you do lose a lot of the old school uh, CFC alliances like Space yeah. Monkeys and, oh God, there's so many like shit tiered, like hangers on, I can't remember. Yeah, they'll they'll come to me in a minute. Uh, oh, FCON, you know, alliances like that, that have been with them for, you know, four or five years at that point. And after they move down to uh, delve again and they start to rebuild and become the super capital kind of supremacy uh focused coalition that's what i call the imperium i recognize that's that's probably not something that's going to jive well with the mitani but whatever 
No, I think you're right. I get to I, think... write, I get to write the history, not him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, who controls the past controls the present, right? And so on. And who controls yeah. the present controls the future, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. you have some power on your, on your hands there, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think you're you're on point there, right? Even though it was rebranded earlier, but that kind of cut it off, and it's like you know, I would call it to I would call it the CSC, and then later on the Imperium. But yeah, yeah. But what alliance um, do you like? What alliance you were in that you were in was probably the most fun or the the best experience for you. You'd, uh, you'd say is it cva, it still it CVA. yeah it was it was still cva you know as much as i didn't enjoy the end of my time there i did have a ton of fun like fcing with them the line members were some of the best pentag blade is still one of the best the best corp i've ever been a part of um and i and that's what that's one of the reasons why i couldn't really i didn't never didn't really gel well with um the initiative i think is because the corp I was in was like half of the people from my old corporation and it was nice and it was great to be with friends for a while. But the problem with being with those kind of friends is that you realize what the other people who didn't follow you brought to kind of that dynamic. You know, there's, they, they've gone on to do some great things. I think they're still a corporation. They're still uh, out there with um, Godless Horizon now doing uh, awesome small gang stuff. But yeah. You know, I still look wistfully upon those days, you know? Yeah. Um, what was the co corp name again? I forgot. Pentag Blade. And no, 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 the one that wasn't in it. Oh, uh, shit. I don't remember the actual corp name. We were with the Godless Horizons for a while. Oh, Escalated? Escalated, correct, yeah. yeah. So, like, Escalated was always, like, when whenever they were around and they had numbers they were like super cool and like like they did cool shit but i always felt like they were lacking the numbers and activities so i always felt like something is missing there right so that might just be yeah. the guys that didn't come with them that could have you know made all the difference there yeah losing people like fardender and Vishnogradsky was was a really big blow they were like some uh pretty top not uh they're some pretty top tier fcs basically not not quite FCs, but they're the kind of people who fill support roles that helps you to run fleets. Like Vish was just a great subcap FC straight up. Um, Fard was amazing at handling bombers, amazing at handling E-War, amazing at handling caps. He didn't like to really FC main fleets at all, but yeah. Also, Laska leaving sucked. Laska's a great dude. Yeah, uh, I got to know Laska quite a bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, he, I actually convinced him to start recording his fights. Because he originally ah. wasn't recording his dread fights, I'm really happy yeah. for him. Like his his YouTube channel is absolutely blown up. It's one of the biggest ones out there. Yeah, Laska. Like I think when Hard Reds got introduced into the game, he was probably the no, not maybe not the first guy. I don't know who was the first, but he was like doing almost nothing else, right? Just Hard Reds all day. He was the guy who figured out how to use them the best. I think. Like he was also in a certain he was in a situation in Provi where. At the time, we were getting roamed very heavily by a lot of small gangs. And it was just the perfect... And people also weren't afraid of the Horde Reds at that point. So it was kind of the perfect moment to start making that kind of content. You got that some amazing true. fights. That always plays a big role. People, When people don't know yet how strong it is, that's, that's where you get the best. And then you have to capitalize on it too, right? It's like the same with doctrines. For example, when we first 
took out Stukas and uh, like did the first bomb runs even on Munins and stuff like this. We had to learn it sadly. We had to learn it first. Because at the beginning, everyone was like, oh, it's just bombers. Let's warp on zero. Warp into this bubble. And like, if only I would have learned all those lessons already. Oh my God, that would have been so good. But slowly but surely we had to learn this. I mean, we had success with them, obviously. But, you know, yeah. if you can capitalize on it early, that's the moment, right? So, but what about the Zappy boys? Are they going to be strong? And then, you know, you can, you can go and, uh, you know, capitalize on them and nobody expects them to be strong. Like, is that going to be a thing? I feel like that actually, I feel like there probably is some use case for them. I just don't think we see it right now. Like I, I want, I I've done the maths and it does look like if all of the things bounce to like reasonable targets. So for example, if you're in, uh, the thunder child, you're fighting like maelstroms or you're fighting a badens, it makes sense. Like you're doing more DPS than they're doing. In theory, you will eventually trade to victory because people aren't going to be repping that incidental damage. The problem is they just aren't very good individually. Like they, they just lack the tracking. They lack, they lack a lot of the things that makes the uh, Trigolavian ships overly good in solo versus fleet fights. You know, yeah. the, um, cause we can all agree that trick ships are way, way better in smaller gang than they are in larger gang. That's just the nature of how their mechanic works. And I feel like the Edencom ships might be the opposite of that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think the big problem with them is the application. Cause yeah. like if you, if you look at the battleships, you know, in theory, you would have enough DPS to kill other ships right no no big deal like i think it has like 400 500 dps so you can work with that just as if it was a normal battleship or a normal whatever ship um but the thing is it doesn't apply all that well right it's a, it applies like uh cruise missiles so you know is it is it gonna be viable i guess we're gonna see like, I don't know how long it takes to, to, uh, to skill it. doesn't take that long, but, um, how expensive are, are those going to, uh, are those ships going to be for now? Right. So I do mean, we, yeah, right now they're looking at about two to two ish times to three ish times T1. So you're looking at the Thunder Child being about 600 mil versus a, you that's know, 200 You know, that's not too crazy. So I guess the, the price we'll, we'll see it go down over the next couple of months as well. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll see like a hundred man Thunderchild fleets and then you can see some effect because you have to go with mass on these, right? So... Yeah, my, my guess would actually be that we see the, uh, the Stormbringer come out first. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Just because um, I've seen so that some people have shown me that you, uh, some, some people have said to me that it works, like it isn't that slow. It's got a lot of things that can make it work really well as a skirmish cruiser. It just needs to come down to about a 100 mil. And then it'll be decent as potentially like a, a counter to caracals and stuff like that. Although everything really counters caracals. And you're not going to use a 100 million-esque ship to counter caracals anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I don't know. I like the mechanic. The mechanic feels like it should work. It feels like the same... Um, the same kind of scaling theory that is why I love having a couple of um, firewall ships in every one of my fleets over like 60, 70 dudes. Because you can always just use that AoE damage to do something. Even if it's just sit on top of the enemy fleet and make them spam a bunch of need shields tags, it's still really yep. useful. 
and i feel like at Have some an ECM point burst on it too right yeah exactly like pe- people underestimate how incredibly annoying that is and effective it is honestly yeah and then if, but, uh, if comms discipline isn't great in a hostile fleet right then there's always that loud guy oh he's young bastard right and then another guy's like me too and then it's like shut up it's all right like <laughs> keep relocking guys don't lose your mind you know play the fucking game don't talk about it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no disrupting enemy fleets is definitely the most fun though like that that is absolutely like my my favorite way to play eve online is very aggressively and with a very big focus on messing up whatever your opponent's trying to do like i've always loved e-war for that reason uh my favorite doctrine of all time is the armor phantasms which is you know it's got like 30k ehp but by god you're gonna damp some things <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what i always thought armor nightmares would also be fairly effective they did get used actually uh for a little bit just post world will be back when people were using the Boltec plus APOC fleet. All right. Uh, people were using the nightmares as E War carriers uh, to carry like a bunch of paints and stuff. Well, it makes sense. I, I I always like, for example, if you see like big scale fleets, like let's, for example, in, in our case, it's like goons are forming, Enid is forming, and then maybe, I don't know what other friendlies we would have right now. So we have like two or f- uh, two or three friendly fleets, and then NC Horde, maybe Snuff. Some other guys are forming, and then most of the time, everyone brings like the same kind of things, which is Munins, Feroxes, that kind of stuff. And I would always argue the approach that Inid and Goons have right now is bringing Sacrilegious and Zealots, and the advantage is always the Ewa in the midst, right? Because if our fleet is not getting hit at least we are helping uh, the goon fleet for example to tank by a plan or evil right so our like their survivability goes up by our presence which is just the strength uh, strength uh, of evil right so i i believe like in those big scenarios in those big fleet f- uh, fights uh evil plays a big role that people might be underestimating at the moment I think people in general just underestimate it, but some of that might just be due to the fact that it is very, very hard to get line members to use it properly. Like fundamentally, it is one of the one of the things that people that line members have to learn and use their brain about, and that is what makes using e war a bit more of a difficult proposition. You know what? I tried actually to go to the next level with e war uh, application, which is. Um, so what I try to do is have a have a wing of twenty three uh, squads, and then twenty three is because you have twenty three different tags you can use, right? So everyone in such a ta- in such a wing in such a squad, like let's say you're in squad A, you would just tag how many E War mods you have on those targets, so the spread is perfect. You know what I mean? Or almost perfect. I took some fights with them up north when we were helping uh, GOTG or Deadco at the time. But uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't get the fights we could test it on. Once I fought fucking domies, you know, good luck e-warring domies. And then one time we fought just so outnumbered that, you know, that you don't get any usable data from it. E-War e- 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 looks Swish so does, bad when you know. you're outnumbered, though. That's the problem. Like, when you're outnumbered, E-War is like, why the fuck did we bring this? It's so <laughs> pointless. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I did try it a few times and I still think it, it probably works really well. And we did some training sessions even, right? So I was, I, I felt, I always feel like people want to be a little bit challenged. They want to be active, doing stuff, think about it. And so I explained it all in detail and, uh, you know, we did some training sessions and I believe the train, like it actually worked. But if you outnumber too much, like you still lose people. And as soon as this falls apart, that's the that's the, the, the problem with E-Wars. E-War e e doctrines it. inherently rely on that E-War to be being active to most enemy ships to work. That's kind of the problem with them. Yeah. Like and the, the second you lose that numerical parity is the, is the second ship start to die and that cascades very, very quickly. Yeah. And that was the problem there. Like I didn't get the right fight to really test it. Um, but I still believe it it probably would work really well. Right? And even if people are not 100% with it, you know, you, you would still get a way better spread of E-War than you would in uh, normal cases. And yeah, I think people wouldn't, uh, like, I think they enjoyed it, that they're like a little bit more challenged. So yeah, I think it's always an, an advantage to a degree, right? If you rely too much on everyone making the right decision, you're not going to have a good time. But if you give them a little bit of, you know, a little bit of extra room. You want, you want to be encouraging people to be playing properly. Yeah. Like yeah. I, people find that fun in general. I think it's just hard. <laughs> it's just hard to like make the judgment of like how skilled are the people I'm flying with? Can they handle this? And see, kind of going from there. But it is fun. Yeah. Anyway, and, I mean, we're, we're, Sorry. Sorry. No, sorry. Uh, we're getting into like in the last bit here. Do you want to switch over to talking a little bit about content creation? Yeah, sure. Like, go, uh, go ahead. You wanted to say some stuff about that. Yeah. Um, just wanted to, you, you've got a couple of questions down here, like, uh, you know, how much research goes into the video. And I want to actually put that, twist that back and put it onto you. Like how much uh, work goes into producing these kind of FC videos and, and finding the right people to talk to for each, each time? Oh, I mean... To be to be quite honest, research-wise, I don't even I don't even research all that much. I kind of know most people, right? Sometimes I have people on that I don't know at all, and then I, um, you know, I ask general questions and stuff like this, and then you know, kind of try to figure out where to go. And it can be a challenge. Right? I learned a couple of things doing this, and I'm sure, like you've done a plenty of podcasts yourself. Like some podcasts are a challenge, but um, most of the time. It's very easy to talk to people. Like, for example, in your case, I knew I don't have to research all that much. <laughs> I just write down a couple of points, right? So, like, in case I, I get lost, like, oh, what could we talk about? Like, but I didn't even need them so far. Like, I have notes open. I think we talked about a couple of those things, and it just, you know, you know it's easy to, to get together. But we, like, we kind of get things naturally, yeah. That's fair. Then, I'm just yeah, I'm just interested in what goes into this because obviously streaming is a very, very different type of content creation to, to what I do. Yeah, I mean, there's advantages to YouTube. Obviously, you can you can sit down, talk to the guy, and you can cut some stuff out if you really need to, which I I think is probably rare, right? But um, I mean, you you're very much in control of what you upload, right? In my case, like wherever it goes. It goes right. It's I kind of yeah. like that though. Twitch, Twitch, I think Twitch and YouTube are very different because Twitch is uh, effectively what you're trying to do on Twitch is you're trying to 
keep people engaged with your content for a long period of time. Uh, and to do that, you also need to produce a lot of content. Whereas with YouTube, you're actually, you're trying to produce a much more condensed point. You're trying to, uh, because what actually matters stats-wise, back-end-wise in YouTube is less uh, the raw amount of hours viewed and more the percentage of your content that gets viewed. So it's much more beneficial for me to have a video where someone watches 70% than a video where someone watches for two hours and it's you know 10% of the video or something just to use a kind of ridiculous example yeah the the thing is like for example uh, the whole army people leadership thing that i talked about earlier that was actually one of the things where i thought like it should be a video you know like there's there's like you could make a video about leadership and eve and all that stuff and uh you know it, it wouldn't be the right thing for like twitch like like it's sometimes in, like in this case it just fit in and i just brought it up but in general right there's some some stuff that deserve a video when where you need to have like your point proper worked out and you can't just wing it right in your case for example the political stuff people would probably get mad at you if you get some stuff wrong on, on oh people wrong. get mad at me every now and again <laughs> yeah I, I i got some i got some feedback from my last episode already because I, uh, I I called something an armor timer that was actually an anchoring timer because uh, the forters are turned on during the middle of the fight and started shooting things. So I saw it on the BR and I was like, okay, well, it's on the BR and it's shooting things. And I checked the system. Okay, the, the Fortazar hasn't died. So this must have been an armor timer because no one defends the shield timer. Boom, put it in the video. Obvious, don't need to check this at all. And then someone shouted at me for getting it wrong. So that's that's the kind of, those are the kind of nuances that you got to worry about. But yeah, you are. You're entirely right. Like I script out all of my videos. I'm normally collecting the points throughout the couple of weeks in between videos. Like, so I'll collect battle reports, links to posts on Reddit. Um, I'll talk to some of the FCs involved sometimes if I uh, have the chance to do that and I know them and kind of get their lowdown perspective on it and, and the nuances that mattered. Um, and then after that, it'll I'll create a whole script and then you got to go through that and record all of that, which is a step that I think people underestimate. <laughs> Try yeah. and read like uh, 3000 words of text in a row without making a mistake. And you will realize suddenly that it is not as easy as you think it is, unfortunately. And then, and then you also want to come at, uh, wanted to come across like you, you're bringing up the point the first time. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to just read it. You, you oh wanna, yeah, you've got to actually you get put it some emotion into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so is, which is also hard. Like you definitely, you definitely develop like a sort of radio voice. Yeah, which is you know, it's one of those things. Also with podcasts, like there's some some real skills that people I think underestimate, but uh, it's good fun to learn it too, right? Oh, like, absolutely, absolutely. Like it's it's such an interesting thing to learn. Video production been able to get tips from so many people you'd be surprised how many like good editors in that play eve as well and people will reach out with you and then and, and try and help you out which is always lovely someone says i like pandas after the fleet where went wrong if he loses yeah why why, uh, would, yeah, he, no. why would you say when he when he loses like i never lose any any fleet ever right <laughs> yeah, no, that's, but, that, yeah. that's what this FCing videos are basically it is just me going hey here's what I did wrong here's me pausing at times I make mistakes explaining why I'm making the mistake and how you can avoid it you yeah, know what's I the funniest you know what's the funniest thing when we have a fleet and it might be a good one might be a bad one who knows 
but some mistakes were made. Then on the way home, I already start analyzing, and people always think like, "Oh no, he's like, he's uh, not mad, but like he's um... emo raging is the old term." No, 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 raging. Like I never rage, but um, people say like, "Ah, cheer up!" Like guys, don't get me wrong. That's how I process this, this right? It's like no, I, I kind of like this, you know. And people always get it wrong, thinking, "Oh no!" Like, like he's sad, and like it was a decent fleet, though, guy. Like. And, it's like whatever, right? And then that, that that is what the term the term emo raging is emotional, just like kind of being really sad after a fight because you feel like you've lost or you didn't do everything perfectly. And that <laughs> was just right. a term in the olden olden days of like cuckoo shit posting. <laughs> but I like analyzing the the fights right after. I have to say though, it's the same with like I think if I would make a, a video or whatever. I would struggle just as much as um, bringing all the points I want to bring up in the video or in the in the stream uh, that I would have if I wasn't streaming. If you you know what I mean, like it's not always like you're not going to be always on point um, analyzing it on the spot. And when you thought about the fight, you had like tons of ideas like oh this and that and so on but if you rewatch it and then suddenly analyze it on stream there's like uh, i don't know there's like that um that spontaneous thing missing you know what i mean so sometimes it's even harder to go back afterwards on stream than like on the way home that's why i like to do it like just fresh it's still in your mind you still know exactly every decision you made and why so that second, I still have it in my mind. So that's why I like to do the anal uh, an, uh, analysis thing right after the fleet instead of waiting a week and then making a video about it because then I feel like some of that information is already lost, right? Why did I make this call? Who, who said what at what time? You know, all these little things, they're all missing suddenly. And then it's, it, you know, I feel like it could be if I would make it a video, it could be a little bit uh, flat, like a little uh, hollow. You know what I mean? It kind of lacks the the lacks the clarity of you knowing, like, ah, oh, this is this is the point at which I lost. The, I felt like I lost control of the fight. Exactly. Because yeah. you, you kind of you do remember you do not like that is something that you don't quite retain. But it's, that's also such a weird feeling to try and describe to people, though. Because people ask, like, how did you know that this was the point at which you lost the fight? And you're like, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I like, I just know from experience that this is the point at which there was no, yeah, I've never come back. Like to it. It, therefore, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, felt like it. Maybe because it felt like it, that's why you lost the fight. You know, that's another question you have to then ask. Orientated, yeah. Yeah, maybe Very you were just too. I had some of those fights before where I thought like hey, maybe we should have taken this fight right away, right then and there, and it would have been fine. I, or, you know, just work it out. But because I felt like, no, 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 I've seen this too many times, and I warp out, it's the second you warp out, the fight is basically over, right? So, you know, it happens. It happens. It does. It does. That's, that's FCing, though. FCing is just a, uh, it's just a game of making up for your mistakes every time, basically. Yeah, and you know, I think it's a very important part of FCN is the whole um, theory crafting, not necessarily, but uh, and uh, like analyzing what you what you did wrong. What can you do next time? Some people do it more um, 
obvious maybe or more um, open like I do and some other people might just not say anything to anyone and they already they already have it in their mind what they're going to do next time just subconsciously or like they you know they make the adjustments next time anyway right so they don't even have to go to through all this process anyway i would dispute that that is that what you're talking about though isn't theory crafting though no no, no the, that's the, what the, like yeah yeah like thinking about different ways you could have structured your fleet and thinking about different ways that you could have organized your like command or organized your fleet or set up your fleet or made sure you had certain ships or make sure you had certain people in place that is all theory crafting people don't think of it as people think theory crafting is just staring at pyfer for like five hours and trying to make the most optimized drifter you can and that's just <laughs> and that's just not what it is like it is the combination of like okay here is a thing that i've made in pyfer comma now how does it apply in real life how does it turn how does it uh move how can i use people on the grid to uh increase the effectiveness of this you know people don't think about even simple things like oh putting having stop bubbles having good stop bubbles took years and years for people to think about how the, how to use them properly you don't and, think about that but like the idea of using nightmares and setting up defensive walls of bubbles around you so you can't, people can't like warp in on you at zero that took that that that's a very recent invention that came out in about 2016 people well, it takes skill think of it. yeah um, I th I bet people thought about it, but at the same time, people thought like, ah, I need enough good dictator pilots to make that happen, and I probably yeah. don't have them, so I'm not gonna bother even trying, you know. So I think that's probably a big factor. And now it's like the go-to doctrine for every small like NoSec alliance. Like you see Forsaken Empire using them, you see T Trigger Happy using them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, yep, we're using them too, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're really so. good though. I do love nightmares. That was definitely my favorite doctrine to fly when I was in Provi, because I brought the I brought the nightmares to Provi before they came to the rest of the game. We were the first block to start using them. We I didn't, huh. I, didn't I didn't come up with the fit. I can't claim that. Uh, some dude in waffles came up with the fit that I objectively stole from him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were the first people to really start using them. Uh, back when everyone else was using either rattlesnakes or the carils. No, they're really strong. They're yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the big advantage is always like they're so mobile, so they're very hard to pin down. And then even if you lose the fight, it's very hard to lose the entire fleet too, right? Which is always a problem with like Armor Max, for example. If you take a fight with Armor Materials, you're not going to get out of all, all the fights. You know? I've, I've definitely lost an entire fleet of Nightmares in my time, but that was, that was, uh, that was thanks to a lot of Tech 3s with a lot of scraps. <laughs> that was less yeah. fun. But, yeah. you know, you learn stuff from that. I'm, Equally, I don't those days. Yeah, I don't either. Those A hacks OP. were pretty strong. Yeah, OP take threes. Nope. It was but... very fun when you refitted your uh, your your nightmares to pulse lasers and uh, heavy newts, though. That was very fun. I did enjoy that. I absolutely wrecked a Loki fleet doing that once. It was glorious. We killed twelve archons. <laughs> well, the um. The T3 days might be over, like, in general, but I think, like, Loki still got, uh, like, a good couple use cases, and isn't there talk about, Legions like... Legions still used heavily in Wormholes as well, from my Yeah, so, like, yeah, I mean, Volta has been using Legions, um, but I haven't seen them around all that much lately. 
Yeah. Like, uh, that's just because what, they're in Vale, where I don't think legions make sense of them. They're using sacrileges mostly right now. But what but what happened to Volta in general, do you know? Yeah, they're deployed in Hakonin right now. They're engaging in oh. Vale of the Silent. I think, yeah, I, actually, yeah. not as that, that you say it, I think Suetonio was actually streaming yesterday, he mentioned that. Yeah, but, he's, yeah. Uh, they're, they're all deployed up there, and they're uh, kind of helping Forsaken Empire, but also just being Volta, so they'll shoot them <laughs> if they don't if they don't get anything else to do. For, um, for a while, it looked like Volta would like blow up into like some massive group, right? Like they were growing and growing. It felt like, but for some reason, it kind of stopped. I don't know what happened there. Um, I don't really know there either. I'm not particularly privy to their internal politics. I know that they've like nearly disbanded at certain points as well. If you remember when they were in the, uh, the HRE. Uh, because they plus skill you plus hard knocks were the people who originally took over the northeast of the game from the DRF, and Volta basically died like uh, during that. Because once they once they taken all the space and started a renting empire, uh, Volta just collapsed in activity, and you know they nearly ceased to exist. And they eventually reformed the actual alliance that exists now. But there was a, there was a couple of shaky months there where it looked like they could die. So who really knows? Yeah, renting empires. We could go on about that one for hours too, probably. Yeah, uh, there's there's uh, a lot of stuff going on in Vale of the Silent, though. Triumvirate just deployed there as well. It looks like Vale is the new Providence, now that Providence is the place for blocks to actually battle for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I do love it now that it's like a legacy and Wreck and Panfam and just outright fighting constantly in Providence. Yeah, there's some weird stuff happening in Providence. I don't know, like, also... There was a stream from Talking Stations about um, what's wrong with Providence, I think it was called. And there was some drama going on or whatever. Like, And you you have drama in every alliance. Like, it, as soon as you have a certain side, there will be drama. Like, how bad the drama will be? I don't know, but there will always be some drama. But it seemed like there's some serious shit going, going on. And, I, like, do you have any, like, context still there? Do you know what's going on there? Uh, yeah, they're like, probably during my time there, um, has basically never really moved on from the early, like, 2008 to 2011-ish ways of organizing a coalition, where you just have alliances that live in vaguely the same region and are blue, and that is all the structure you really have, apart from, like, comms. Uh, so oh, there's right. no, there's, there's, like, I don't know if they've updated it by now, but when I was there, there was no coalition SRP, there was no coalition tax rules, no coalition, like, here's where you make your money, there was no standing comms, there's basically no organization at all, and I tried to kind of get get through that, but there was just so much organizational resistance in Providence, I don't think you're ever going to do it. Provi is just very, very resistant to modernization, because they don't really have to. Uh, especially CVA, like, and CVA makes a lot of the decisions, if not all the decisions, for Providence. So you end up with this constant drama from the smaller Providence groups that want things to get better or, or want to be in a more modern situation, and CVA, which isn't really incentivized to do so because every time CVA gets booted from the region, they absorb all of the corpse and members from the people who want to stay in NRDS uh, from those smaller alliances. And then uh, they just retake the space like three months later whenever whenever whoever mm. invaded them gets lost. Because they know that CVA can handle losing their space because CVA is a very old and very 
well well run in its own way alliance it's not going to just randomly fail cascade whereas a lot of these smaller alliances they actually you know if they get kicked out of providence there is a good chance that those alliances cease to exist so yeah. there's kind of a divergence of pro- uh, priorities that's just naturally inbuilt into the coalition and that just always leads to drama and i think it always will especially when uh, outside forces do attempt to leverage this which is uh what we kind of saw with i don't know if they talked about it at all in the podcast but there are rumors that have come to me from multiple sources that um rocket x offered providence a uh, ceasefire basically terms to like stop attacking them and oh, right. apparently oh, that price? was not well received by cva so that's not happening <laughs> rocket x uh, and the guys i mean that's basically those those are panfam affiliated people right so um I mean, if it was just Rocket X and um, what's the group called again? Seto is in there, isn't he? Uh, no, I think he left now, didn't he? Oh, he left already. But, um, I thought he joined um, a Horde, but I may, I could be wrong there. Who knows? Uh, yeah, it's Wrecking Crew is the Wrecking coalition. Crew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Wrecking these guys crew... have been active in that area for so long that they've just slowly built up to become a force that is just able to contest probably at this point. Yeah, they're, they're quite they're quite big, right? But if it was only Wrecking Crew, I think probably would probably handle it, right? Uh, if you no. go by like the his, the history of them fighting, the the problem is that Wrecking Crew has a significant super capital and capital advantage over Provi. So, in a lot of their engagements, they're able to win by leveraging that. Basically, uh, I I don't I don't think we can really know though what the natural order of things is in providence just because at the end of the day if probably pushes too hard wrecking crew are always going to bat for panfoot panda fam and if uh, wrecking crew push too hard they will you know uh, probably were always going to bat phone legacy that's just how it worked yeah that's similar um, to your situation before right with pn yeah similar, yeah very similar to it actually it's, it's kind of just a slow continuation of the anime war in a certain way yeah. I mean, you know, in fact, Wrecking Crew getting Sov there was a direct result of the anime war. They took Sov during it, and they just ne- and probably has never been able to take it back after however many years. All right, someone says, Seto didn't join Horde. He left Rocket's Alliance to start his own alliance, spent a week FC in Horde fleets, whenever Starpilot was away. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so I, I, I might have... Sorry. Yeah, I might have Seto on again. He, he actually asked uh, about it like the other day. Because uh, I think the last time I had him on was, I mean, half a year ago or something. I don't even know. It's been a while. I've been running this for quite a while. Actually, uh, Monday, it's going to be the one year anniversary of me streaming. So uh, Hey, congrats. Not, nothing special planned, but uh, yeah, there you go. You've been keeping up to the schedule for a long, long time too. I've got to give you respect for that. That's hard. The the schedule for, like that's the only thing the FC chat schedule I kept with it, but um, the the normal streams I can't keep up with it because like then there's a chat timer here, then there's a timer there, there's a fleet out, there's like you know rockets to be saved, like there's always something in the way, so it's like almost impossible for me to uh, to keep the normal stream uh, schedule up, but I'm trying my best usually, so um, yeah. And, you know, uh, I actually, I actually have to say that I really regret putting my suit on for this because it is absolutely baking in my room right now, and I'm sweating <laughs> like a dog. 
well then take it <laughs> up i guess i mean i don't even own a suit at the moment uh you can't, how do you not own a suit you got yeah, yeah i know one. i know yeah, that's what i'm thinking but yeah uh, I need to get a, a solid, a good suit. Get a, get an initiative themed suit. Uh, may, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> get a cheap, get a cheap one, and just get it embroidered. It'd be sick. <laughs> when we when we actually finally have events back, you get oh, the initiative. To, the initiative can finally level up the gate, the like swag game from. Everyone hoodies. shows up in a suit. Yeah, everyone shows that would up in be a good, that would be a good one. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> and you know what? Brisk would support that 100%. Brisk would very much support that. Brisk, <laughs> Brisk would be on top of that. You imagine. Brisk could hook you up with a good tailor. Uh, I'd be up for that. I need a suit anyway. So, like, a PJ, PJ is already getting me uh, yoga pants for the stream so I can stream with a whiteboard, right? Uh. But yeah. Um, uh, I had one point that I wrote down, actually. I almost lost it, or I lost the train, like train of thought, but I want to bring it up anyway. One thing that FCs um, might um, underestimate, and you mentioned uh, the theory crafting part, what actually goes into theory crafting. I think like having your MOTD and the doctrine and all that stuff sorted out for people to see either be it on the forums wherever your alliance uses it or um whatever like or in game like i like to use it in game because people can just you know join fleet and click 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 and they have all the fits and all that stuff you know i think that's one un, um one aspect that people underestimate and i just wanted to bring it up because i had it written down but i didn't want to interrupt you and uh yeah no, that's totally right like it, i i would recommend that aspiring fcs just make an motd before like fleets and if people ask you questions more than twice put the fucking answer to it in the MOTD. that's just that's that's been my that's been my mo for like my whole fc and careers if someone asks you a question more than twice that means that there are probably 10 15 people who want to know that question but aren't going to ask you it yeah so if you present them the information right away it's going to make things a lot easier for them yeah i take good pride in my MOTDs. they're always they're always i'm always trying to have them on point so people can rely on it. And over time, you know, maybe not the first time, maybe not the first 10 times, people will look actually at the MOTD, but... But they never some... do. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. Never, they never read they the never, MOTD. You'll never have all the people look at it. But at a certain uh, time, like after like 100 fleets, you would expect people. So 90% of people will actually look at it. And it's like, there's great, like fleets profit greatly from it, I think. It's like very underestimated. And I always get like, I always think like Dark Shines, who you know, probably too, um, he's running like big fleets and stuff. And he has always the shittiest MOTDs, right? It just says like, Alpha Alpha comms, we're in abundance. And like, it might not even be an Alpha comms, you know what I mean? It's like, dude, come on, you can do better. And uh, at least for the doctrines that I uh, post and stuff, I make MOTDs. And then he usually goes and says, hey, Pano, you got that MOTD? Can I save it? And then I invite him and he saves my MOTD. Like that that fucking meme. Hey, y'all got any more of that free crack? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. So yeah, MOTDs. If you want to FC, that's one of the things you can easily easily do right the first time so there you go and yeah, well, 
thank you for having me on panda i yeah. really appreciate it it's great to talk to you well, i was about to say and uh thanks for coming on uh great job with the the youtube channel and yeah keep it up yeah great job with the twitch stuff and i look forward to uh listening to your next episode of this yeah, always my, enjoy it you know what i actually i asked kenda who's who seems to be uh, getting he's more resurfacing active. Yeah, he's like like a fucking like a fucking demon from the swamp. But, he's coming. But he said <laughs> he said he's gonna be. He needs to be more active in the next like for, for a month or so, and then he wants to come on. And uh, totally. so I miss that dude. He's a, he's a really good FC. You should definitely yeah, talk to him. When you yeah, can. not even FC necessarily, but also um, like a, just a leader. You know what I mean? There's FCs and then there's leaders. I feel like, and he strikes like a good. Like he's good in both, right? Which is rare. Like you have an Elo, he'll for example. He's terrible at leadership, though. Don't worry about that. He'll tell so, you that he sucks at it, even though. He's yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's but that makes a good leader. You know what I mean? It's You're like, not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like the guys that, like for example, on those FC cards, I've got three points. You get only one point, right? I'm pretty sure it's more than one point. Time I, spent I on. It's like I'm 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 on purpose time spent on right. It's not like how good are you at it, but like how much time have you spent on leadership stuff, right? Honestly, not that much though. That's that's kind of the other thing about about Providence is that the military and political leadership is super super separated. So I basically had no ability to talk to like the corp CEOs and stuff like that as a milder. I had to go through alliance leadership to talk to corp CEOs, which basically doesn't work. Because it makes it makes shifting doctrines just impossible. Yeah. But that's the point. <laughs> I, I I just don't enjoy leadership, if I'm honest. I tried it for a while, and it just it just isn't something for me. I just like shooting people in the face with my spaceship lasers. Same, but sometimes that requires leadership too. You know. Alrighty, then let's call it here, guys. Uh, everyone, thanks for hanging out. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And see you guys on the next one. Oh yeah, and look at the, the new awesome Thanks for watching screen. From like yeah. 75. Oh, that is a nice fight. Oh, just look like in a in a few seconds so that the first moment's already over when the the ref warps through. But then also you have like four of those blue explosions at the same time, which is super rare. That's, that is the rarest explosion, isn't it? The blue spinny yeah. one. Yeah. Alrighty, guys, I'm muting myself here. See you guys around.